What's up, everybody? Energy is Love Podcast. Here we go. My sponsors. Yes, we do have sponsors for the show. We are always looking for more sponsors. If you want to be a sponsor, contact us, energyislovepodcast at gmail.com, or go online to our Facebook page, Energy is Love Podcast. Reach out, become a sponsor, get your message out there. But as far as our sponsors go, we have Crystal Water Float Spa located in Twilla, Utah, crystalwaterfloat.com, or on Facebook at Crystal Water Float Spa. Um, remember, part of the podcast is bringing awareness to floating, and there's no better place to float than crystal water. Get in that tank, sit back and relax, enjoy everything about it, because it's an incredible experience. So if you're here locally in Utah, come and see us. If you're not, go find a tank, get in the water, sit back and relax. You're going to love it. We also have to thank The Bry Man. The Bry Man's been sponsoring small businesses for the past 10 years. The podcast wouldn't be what it is today without the support from The Bry Man. So in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be interviewing some really cool people. And we've already interviewed some really cool people. I love sharing everybody's journey and everybody's story with everybody out there. How many more times can I say everybody? I don't know. Let's see. Everybody? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for tuning in. It's the Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for what? The universe. Send it out. fucking stay. On today's show, I interviewed Lori Nielsen. Lori has a passion for stones and crystals, so much so, like this is how much this lady loves stones and crystals, she now runs and operates the Living Light Institute of Energy Healing Arts, which is located in Salt Lake City. There she teaches and certifies students in crystal healing modalities, learning all about rocks, stones, crystals, uh, their history, everything about them basically, and how to work with them and how to connect with them and how to also help other people with that ability. So that's super cool. Lori's a spiritual guide as well as an intuitive energy healer. And during the episode, she actually did this really cool thing where she intuitively connected and read some of my crystals. And I have to tell you, it was really spot on and honestly kind of badass. I say every guest that we have come on the show is super interesting. And we discuss just the most amazing, incredible things. Uh, well, honestly, we kind of do. <laughs> and it, they kind of are that interesting. Um, it's really honestly just the best reason to do a podcast because you get to meet all these really kick-ass people. Lori and I discussed a lot in this episode. If you like or have interest in crystals, then this is definitely the episode for you. And if you don't, well, then quit being an ass and go outside and pick up a rock. Find Lori online at livinglightschool.com or search her on Facebook. And it's the same thing, Living Light School. It's an awesome episode, super insightful, and you also get a little insight into my psyche and into my soul. So enjoy episode 17 with Lori Nelson. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. The energy is love. The energy is the love podcast. The energy is love podcast. Energy is love. The energy is love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The energy is love podcast. What's up, everybody? It's the Energies Love Podcast. Uh, I don't know which episode this is. I'm thinking it's like 17 or 18. I forget which one it is. But today, my guest is Lori Nielsen. Lori, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming out to the podcast. So, lucky for you, we just get to sit and chat. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It was a beautiful drive from Salt Lake to Tooele. Yeah. And I was really enjoying that, getting out of the house and seeing the mountains in the desert. And it just kind of set us up for some of what we'll probably be talking about today, which is nature, rocks, stones, crystals, 
minerals, all that fun stuff. Have you ever been out to Tula before? I have been a couple times, yeah. Yeah, it's an okay place. I shouldn't say that. I love Tula. <laughs> all these people that are listening to Tula are going to think, what the heck, but it is a nice place. I do like Tula. Um, so tell me what it is that you do. Well, I am a master of Christology. I'm an energy healer, a shaman, and um, have a special kind of affinity for crystals and stones. And uh, so consequently, I do a lot of teaching about that, about uh, the energy of stones and crystals and their capacity for healing and shifting consciousness. And I started a business called the Living Light Institute of Energy Healing Arts, where I certify people in crystal healing and kind of put, you know, that's the umbrella for all the classes that I offer on energy and metaphysics and uh, self-awareness, things to get people into tune with themselves and step into their gifts and awareness. Yeah. And crystals just happen to be a really great tool for that. For sure. Actually. Yeah. Um, when you reached out to me, I was super excited because uh, throughout the episodes of the podcast and stuff, we've hit on some kind of little bit of information in regards to stones and crystals and all the different aspects of it when it comes to spirituality and energy work and things like that. But somebody like you who's certified, who's a professional, who knows I'm guessing quite a bit more than the average person. That's why I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Yay. So <clears throat> when did you kind of first, are you the type of kid? Because I come across people like this all the time and I'm I'm like this where I look back and I kind of re-remember the fact that I always liked rocks. I always liked stuff and I would collect them and keep them on my you know top shelf or in my dresser drawer or something like that. Was it similar for you when you were grew, growing up? Absolutely. Um rock collector and you know finding the pretty rocks and and i think everybody knows somebody that has even that you know that interest when we were younger and innocent that we would naturally pick up you know the pretties yeah or even maybe the non-pretties but we just really liked them yeah and then how did you take that i mean tell me a little bit about your past and how did you get to this point in time where you've embraced it so fully that it's kind of what you do now I would say that I went through kind of a sleeping period in my life of, um, I didn't live in Utah always, and I was raised within a certain strict religion. And so, <laughs> you know, I was very inhibited and grew up with lots of boundaries and inside did, the box. Where did you grow up? In Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So that was most of my life there, about 23, 24 years. And it wasn't until I did all the processes and things that they expect of you typically in this type of religious setting. And then it, then I was 30 and I kind of did a reset where um, I was like, you know, this didn't work out for me the way I saw my family members and, and everyone do things, do marriage, do children and, and um, have success with that. And um, you know what church we're talking about. Everybody knows what church we're talking about. Well, so, not everybody. Okay, we're well, in Utah, well, so everybody in Utah probably knows what church we're talking <laughs> about. But go. we got listeners all over the place. Yeah, okay, so let's we'll just say, because I don't want to badmouth it, I think it was a great educational experience for me, being an LDS, essentially. Uh -huh. And so that you know set up my framework. But then when I got to 30, it was like, you know what? None of this stuff worked out like I saw. I saw my family, everyone get married in the temple, and... And everyone has uh, had children and nobody's gotten a divorce. So I'm the first one to get a couple divorces by 30. <laughs> and uh, and then, but I had always been kind of conditioned that Utah was the place when I came here to visit. 
always saw that um, everybody was typically LDS. And my perception of that was that everyone got along. And all of the, uh, after high school, this is where all the, the males come and all the females come for yeah. college, for for going to missions and things. And this was like the Mecca. And so it should be no problem to find a partner and to move forward. And, um, you know, that should not be difficult. And, and boy, did that my life really contradict what actually happened. So when I was 30, I was like, went back to church at 30 and had a whole different perspective from childhood. And I was like, this isn't working out for me. So I'm going to give myself permission to start over and hit the reset button and not have to live or feel like I need to live by all these conditionings and things. Because mm-hmm. it was really in my family a lot. And then... Um, I would say I even backslid after that for a few years, but I needed all those years of experience to come into the knowing and have I did a lot of really crazy things. And so, um, but that is typical of any wounded healer is to go through a range of experiences so that you are qualified and, you know, can teach from experience. So when I got in my late thirties, I started having kind of a slow awakening. Yeah. And I started coming back into myself and I was, um, and I think that happens for a lot of people. You get in the 30s, 40s, you start, you begin to kind of reassess everything and go deeper. You've kind, kind of that like... midlife crisis period <laughs> yeah. era right there. And so so that's what happened. And I spent an immense amount of time on the internet researching and I was found I was drawn to these crystals and stones. And um, I was spending an enormous amount of time because of my job, I could be online for a long time, for days, and it was fascinating. And all I was doing, I was starting to collect crystals, and over a few years, I had amassed a pretty big collection. But I amassed so many crystals that I really think they gave me an awakening. Mm-hmm. I really think that that over time that I started to have all the experiences and come into the knowing and the things that I needed to to um, I woke up, and so it, it was. It's really beautiful. So. Then I decided, gosh, I know so much about crystals and stones. I'd really love to teach this stuff and share this knowledge. And um, so I decided I needed credibility. So I needed to get a certification of some type. Up to that point, was it just stuff that, I mean, you just had crystals and it was just your kind of own personal space and your own stuff. It was just, you just had a passion and a love for it. Up to that point, you hadn't necessarily gone out and started to work with other people or anything, right? Right, right. Yeah. And so... um, so I went and got a certification a few years later, and in 2010, I felt like I had what I needed that I could put myself out there in front of people as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so, but there were several years, there were six years before that that I'd been really into it and and studying and learning. So, um, so that's when I got a certification. Went to Boulder, Colorado, got certified in Christology, and that is a one of the top five books for I would say like Crystal Bible type things references would be one by melody called love is in the earth and it's really thick the it's like over 700 pages and it is the only book that is actually the closest thing to like a clinical trial or case study Uh because it took 10 years to write and so melody she's known by melody she's written several books Um, that first one didn't have any photographs in it but it has lots of crystals and minerals and what they did was they took many people and if three or more people said a particular result came on a physical level, a spiritual level, and an emotional level, then it got put in the book. 
So that's like the closest thing we have in any written material. That's like like a scientific yeah. clinical trial. So that's trial the book. And type thing. So remember that book for all of you. It's it's really intensive. It has numerological correspondences and astrological, and of course the physical, spiritual, and mental, emotional. So what was the name of it again? It's called Love Is in the Earth. A crystal or a compendium of crystals, but love is in the earth by Melody. So um, there's a first version, an updated version, and then after that, you've got stuff with pictures in it, things like that. But it's look for the one that's over 700 pages. <laughs> look for the big, thick, heavy one. <laughs> so I would say that's one of the top five because that's when we started seeing a resurgence of interest in. Uh, crystals as healing mm -hmm. was in the late 70s really 80s in the 80s so her and katrina Raphael were the first two ladies that were kind of trailblazing this and put published material out that started talking about more the metaphysical and this spiritual and this consciousness stuff you know that came along with it too. yeah so that's and then from there you know so that's where i got certified was um in that modality and brought it back to Salt Lake and started teaching and expanding my classes because the more I learned and was doing hands-on, the more I realized the transformative properties of it as far as consciousness goes. And that I started reawakening to past lives or whatever innate information is in my soul and DNA that um, helps me to understand. I would say like if there was a Greg Braden of crystal healing, I mean, and crystal energy information, that's what I, aspire to be yeah you know the greg braden of that because um just because there's just so much consciousness type information that's just amazing the, so. it, it, it is amazing and it's one of those things that i think some people can really connect with and relate with and then there's other people that come into the realm of like spirituality and all of these different things and when you start talking to them about crystals or stones and different things then you kind of lose them they're like what what are you i'm what i don't see the you know they don't see the correlation or the effect and they kind of are very skeptical um what do you do with people like that how do you kind of give people an experience or something like that to where they can start to see the, the real effects that they can gain from crystals and stones? That's a super great question because there are skeptics all over, and this is for anybody else that's going to come across those people. A fun thing to do is to kind of ask that person questions like, so do you like being out in nature? Do you like going fishing? you like to go camping, uh, hiking? Are you an out, you know, outdoors person? And if you're speaking to someone that can relate in that aspect or one of those aspects you can say well you know nature is pure it's pure vibration it's mm -hmm. untainted it's what's most natural in this earth and people go out into nature so that they are essentially in scientific terms they're in training to the higher vibration of nature because nature is more powerful and stable and and less chaotic than the human biofield yeah our emotions boy we are just chaotic <laughs> up and down all day but crystals in fact are the most stable and fixed energy of anything found on the planet. So so what happens is a natural form of entrainment where you become refreshed. People come out of camping in the weekend and the fishing and the hunting trips and the hikes refreshed and rejuvenated because they've ex put themselves in the greater field of stability with the energy. So it literally kind of takes them clears to that you. vibration and clears them, right? Absolutely. So th that's one of the ways. And we're in this mecca of... You know, Utah's a geological wonder. Yeah. And so there's so much, we have so much granite and quartz in the granite, so it's being squeezed 
when quartz gets squeezed, it's giving off a constant energy. So it's a, we have a lot of quartz that grows in granite up in the mountains. So we're sitting on top of this piezoelectric, you know, continuous energy bomb, you know, and it's amazing. <laughs> and especially if you go up there, it's just. And then we have the salt of the flats, and mm-hmm. and of, and salt is a very clearing energy, and that's all you know, cubic in the molecular structure. And so we have all this clearing, you know, and and just think if people took their minds and their consciousness and tried to consciously interact with that energy that's there available to them, because we're not right now, we're thinking salt as a food source. We're thinking salt is, okay, you know, let's go play on the salt floats, let's go drive on it. But what if you use your mind to... And I, I'm getting jumping ahead because I know we'll get into this <laughs> later. But going back to your original question, what do you say to people that are skeptics and things? So once you get them to first consciously, sometimes it's more easy for people to connect with nature than, say, a crystal or a rock. See, and I, I, as you're describing it and, you know, as you're answering the question, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, you're going to be hard-pressed to come across somebody who doesn't like being outdoors, who doesn't like going up and camping or hiking or even just going for a stroll out in nature. I mean, I think there's an aspect of it that's just kind of innate in everybody. Right. And once you can connect that that's what's happening is your body is when you're craving that or you need that thing or feel like you need to be out there for that rejuvenation, your body is the thing that's telling you, I need this. I want this. I like this. This is compatible. This is helping me. And so in the same way, we can't always be out in nature, but we can bring nature to us. Mm -hmm. So the crystals and the stones are the little pieces of stability that we can bring into our field by wearing them, by carrying them in our pockets, by having them near us. Um, Those are some of the ways that... um, that they help to stabilize our energy field. Do you have one that you would typically kind of direct somebody towards initially? And I know that, um, I know that always, because <laughs> we tell people this all the time when we talk to people about stones and crystals, it's not just the one that looks pretty. It's not just the one that, you know, you read through it and the properties and all the different things and all the different aspects. That's great and that's wonderful, but it's really finding the ones that speak to you, the ones that you feel really connected to and drawn to. Somebody that has no experience and kind of no, you know, they haven't opened up their mind that far yet. Is there one that you kind of would typically point people in the direction of, well, maybe try this or try that? Usually people, when you can be more specific about what it is you want, it's more helpful to suggest stones. However, I, I always tell people that quartz is a, well, it's called the master master healer because it does so much. And that's my favorite. But it can be too overwhelming and powerful for some people. Mm-hmm. So um, because it has really amazing, well, let me tell you why. <laughs> and this is what we were, what I was saying we'd probably get into later, was they've done studies. Um, Cal State Tech in California did a study where, and this is in the 80s, or this was a while ago. They took a quartz crystal and they took someone who was really adept at like focusing meditation and things. Uh-huh. They put an EEG machine, those pads that you put on your head to measure human brainwave activity. Well, they put that on the crystal. And then they had someone without that hooked up to equipment just focusing thought forms to it. And so what would, like joy. So when they did that, a little blip went on the screen, kind of like it looks like the heartbeat thing that indicates that the brain has received input Mm -hmm. and is receiving a thought. So this person could pull, put in multiple thoughts, happiness, joy, love, things like that, and it would register this. And it was carrying and broadcasting that 
that information. And then there was a way to mentally intend to erase it or take the one off or take two out. And it was indicating that it was getting it. So crystals, especially quartz, is, has a very, very special affinity for working with our own electromagnetic energy, which is comes through thought. And um, so then you th- start thinking about, oh, so I have a little partner that could help me, like maybe support me in something. Maybe I need support. Maybe I want to feel joy all day long. This is going to be my joy crystal. So I'm going to program it. And quartz would be a great one for that because it's so susceptible to the input uh-huh. from a thought form. Now, that's not so far-fetched when we look at computers because computer technology, computer chips are what? They're silicon, they're quartz. Yeah. And they hold little slivers, hold immense amounts of information on them. So it's not so far-fetched that humans could interact with crystal in such a way. And beyond that, we know there were ancient civilizations that also harnessed and used anew the ability to use um thought forms with quartz too so that makes it a really powerful little buddy as far as like trying to help reprogram your subconscious or because we don't always have access to that and um, helping with things like addictions or attachments or support really great for that um that's a cool study i've never heard of that one before i mean i've heard of a lot of different kind of things and uh it's neat that they actually tested it do you know what i mean and that's the thing where I think more and more, because there's studies like that in regard, I mean, there's ones when, you know, they test water and things like that and kind of can look at the ways that water is affected by thought or by emotion or really just by energy and things like that. Um, What was I going to ask you? You talked about ancient civilizations that would use crystals and quartz and different things like that. Let's have like a really crazy talk for a minute. Let's go into the weird, bizarre world that sometimes people would view it as, even though you and I probably don't. That's my favorite world. (laughs) (laughs) But this whole idea and the concept about crystals holding a vast amount of information and knowledge and some sort of like centralized location of whether it's like a crystal cave or cavern or something like that somewhere on the planet where it's stored all the information and knowledge for the planet for everybody for the universe things like that is that something that you feel like you could speak on or absolutely okay well let's see let's talk about some of the civilizations from the past first of all without going into a bunch of like this new information and disclosure that's coming out about how we have inner earth civilizations, how people have visited them, like in the governments and higher ups have been able to visit and speak with them recently. Uh-huh. And the fact that, and you know, and then planets have been colonized, we haven't been told about it. So I don't want to, that's the crazy talk yeah. that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were even inner earth civilizations that the inner earth thing is not far fetched because they say the Mayans knew and had knowledge of the inner earth. And that's how they escaped to survive when the Spanish Inquisition and some of those things, a lot of civilizations, Egypt, Maya, Incas, they all tunneled under underneath the earth. And mm-hmm. even in Mexico, there's all kinds of secret places and things like that so um our earth is enormous it is one giant big floating crystal and so that doesn't seem far-fetched to me so i know that there were um there's inner earth beings that still do work with the crystals that have knowledge of how that how they can use them for light sources and things like that but when we talk about in our history what we know of our planet's history there's lemuria and there's atlantis and so um there's also some you might find some manuscripts regarding the himalaya mountains like um 
some of the Tibetans and they keep their stuff really secret. Mm -hmm. But there's some kind of information that points to them having some knowledge also of some of the inner earth, either people or caverns or things like that. So there are some people that do. We don't have a lot of proof, so it's hard to speak factually about what's going on in the earth with crystals right now. But but there are said to be some giant, they call them earth keepers, and they're just enormous crystals that are holding planetary energies or things like that for support. And then um, it's the Lemurians were not as technologically advanced as the Atlanteans, but they did have a very close, they, they lived very cohesively with the earth and earth energies and people, and there was a lot of love back then. And so they knew how to use them in a healing capacity. And then at the Atlanteans, though, they apparently had a crystal satellite that floated above the Earth, and they called it the second moon of Atlantis because they had some beings living there at the time called the Atla Ra. And the Atla Ra were 10-foot golden beings, and they were so benevolent that uh, they didn't have to be governed because they were safe. They were just trusted and safe, and they were the ones that ran the technology. So they had a lot of information about how to... Um, they had a crystal satellite, and what it could do is beam frequencies, because even emotions, thoughts, everything is frequencies. There's healthier frequencies for studying and learning that can help us remember better, which is even true now. And there's frequencies that can help with plant growth. There's frequencies that can help with your get more in tune with spirituality and physical healing. So this satellite was able to beam down to different temples and different places of learning simultaneously, you know, to make crop grow better. Um, the food supply, it would also generate energy. It could also make those temples of physical healing hold the frequency that it needed to for people to rejuvenate more quickly. And same thing with spirituality and the learning centers. So they were quite advanced with that. And there's even some hints that Egypt also knew something about crystals. And there's some really fascinating pictures of straight up quartz growing right out of desert sand and it's amazing looking and it's like it's called the white desert and they have some great crystal formations but there's some hints that there's some knowledge in egypt as well too yeah we don't find a lot of crystals there but they they did love gemstones but um you know quartz i don't know i went there myself i didn't see a lot of that but um when but did they, you go to egypt 2012 i went during the auspicious dates of 2 2 2012 through 2012 with a group of people that I don't know if you've ever heard of um, James Tiburon but he channels Archangel Metatron and he's a geologist and he knows his stuff with he channels the most amazing technical information about um, through Metatron about the earth and where it's holding these immense energies and so mm -hmm. they have these pilgrimages every now and then to these sacred sites around the world so I went with them when they went to Egypt in 2012 Oh, we got to talk about that. Oh, we will. Let's do. <laughs> yeah, because that be sounds fun. badass. That was that was amazing. And so um, then... Where exactly in Egypt did you guys go to? We went everywhere. We flew into Cairo, <clears throat> and we all met up in Cairo. And then we went down to Aswan because they say that, you know, there's temples along the Nile River from the bottom up. So Aswan is down like 500 miles south where they believe all that. Because um, in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid is the red granite. And this is a very... 
it's and we have some here in Utah. It's pink and black looking. So they call that red or rose granite. And that's the only place inside the pyramid that has a different kind of rock or stone than anything else. But it also has these amazing resonant properties. So if you're toning or, you know, there's some special things you do with frequency and sound that can vault you into other dimensions. And uh-huh. that's a sound chamber for that. So Aswan is the place where they quarried that. So we took the train down the next day and got all the way down to Aswan where we began. And first we hopped on a bus and went through the with these little trucks filled of guys with AR-15s and stuff in front of the... We had three buses of people. And so, like, you know, they, cl- have, like, they claim security. you have to have armed security. I mean, who's in the Sahara Desert? Nobody. I don't think we passed two cars on the Sahara Desert going down to Abu Simbel, which is, a, like, I don't know, a couple hundred miles. Took a couple hours to get there. Where they we went to the first temple, and it was the one of that that one guy, that one king... And I forget. Um, but they moved it across the water because, and they did that with Temple of Isis as well, because there was a lot of flooding. So they took mm-hmm. it apart block by block. It's the one with two great big, he was a king and he thought and claimed he was a god, but he wasn't. And then he built a temple to his wife right next to him. So we went there first. Then we go back to Aswan and then we got on a, uh, like a, it's not a ship, but it's like a cruise ship, kind of smaller one. And um, so you can go up the Nile and then you hit all the others. It's representative of the seven chakras. It's representative of the spine. Yeah. And it's really amazing if you ever see these cool pictures of Egypt at night where it's a photograph of the Nile River and up at the top, it springs open like a lotus fly. It just It's the most beautiful thing because you'll see it lit up at night and all these gorgeous dark marble blues and all these lights along the cities and stuff. And the Nile just looks like one nice fluid stem and at the top it just comes out like a lotus and it, with all these lights and it's the most amazing. I'm sure people may have seen this picture. So you see a lot of lotus flower symbolism because the blue lotus only grows along the Nile. Um, I think maybe in Australia some, but um, it's pretty rare and it has a really lovely fragrance for perfumes and essential oils. So you start down at Aswan and then you work your way up and you hit all these different temples along the way and it's supposed to stimulate each chakra. And each temple has a really amazing setup, you know, um, how you can walk in there. And they'll always have a holiest of holies, which is a main or center chamber that that is like... Um, I know they're different for each, but you walk around and kind of hit all the other smaller rooms and then you hit the the holiest of holies last. And usually there's a pillar or something in there that you touch. And um, the one that was the crocodile god. Were you able to actually go into yeah, the room? Yeah, and we stuff could like go that? in the temples. Yeah. A couple of the holiest of holies rooms were like sealed off. You could see it. You couldn't go in. But that's just because they, they had artifacts in them. Uh-huh. But most of them you could go and you could touch. And so we'd try to meditate and stuff in there, but sometimes the guards would try to discourage you from doing that. And um, there was just so many amazing things. Aswan, um, Luxor, when you get up to Luxor, you have Luxor Temple and you have Karnak. And Karnak isn't the most, the biggest one that they've found so far, but it's actually a conglomerate of all these other ones. So you have an area of worship for Sekhmet, you have an area of worship for um, Hathor, you have an area whereas, you know, Hathor has his own temple and um, so it's, it's pretty neat like that but we got to go they opened up Sekhmet's chamber for us and I had seen some really amazing photos, energy photos and I don't know what happened, I went in there and I, I looked and I just started crying and I broke down and I, I couldn't tell you what <laughs> happened something moved me, something connected yeah. with me and it was really amazing Just you just can't explain those things so I kind of sat next to the wall and 
you know, got to stay there longer than many other people because I was having this experience. And then I walked into the area where they have the great big pylons. It's like a field, a garden of pylons. And I found that I had that whole place to myself. I don't know. There were so many people there that day, but for some reason, I was the only one in this place. And it was so silent and beautiful. And I have never in my life felt such a feeling of remembrance like I had been there before, like it brought me so much peace and like remembering how peaceful and and wonderful it felt. And so I took some video and I have a lot of pictures of that trip there. Um, But that was one of the most profound experiences. That's amazing. Yeah. Having that connection and that feeling, just knowing you were there before. Not, not a lot of conscious, like, what was I doing here? But it was, like, familiar. Like, I have been here before. I recognize this peaceful feeling. I, And I didn't want to leave. I cried that night. And we're leaving <laughs> and leaving the temple. And it was sad. But it was a wonderful trip full of lots of memories. And, and you were there for, like, 10 days, you said? You went from yeah. the 2nd of February to the 12th. And it's cool that you guys did the whole numerology yeah. aspect in 2012. Yeah. And, I mean, that just sounds like an amazing kind of once-in-a-lifetime trip there. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you, because you talked about Atlantis and uh, Atlanteans and their satellite in the sky and things like that. And I obviously, I sure hope you understand I'm not in any way, shape or form uh, thinking that you're nuts or crazy, because I think crazy stuff like that all the time. But there's a, I think a lot of times when it comes to the realm of spirituality and things like that, there's a stigma attached to it where people well, you know, maybe you'll start talking about something like that with a group of people or with a client or with somebody else or even just friends or family members. And that's where you lose them, where they kind of like, okay, here she goes. She's talking about the Atlanteans again and their crystal satellite and their second moon and all these different things. How do you deal with that personally? Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's a hard thing to, I think in my mind, the universe is big enough where all of these things are possible. And energy is an amazing thing, and, it, and it's done amazing things for me in my life. And so when it comes to crazy thoughts, even when they're crazier and crazier than I've gone in my own space before, I'm okay with that. Do you know what I mean? I'm accepting of it because I think that it's big enough that anything can exist. But how do you deal with it personally where – because you don't want to – I mean, nobody wants to be viewed a certain way, even though in the end we are – you know, comfortable within our own space and we're not concerned necessarily with how people view us or think of us, but we still have to kind of exist and move through this realm and this life. So how do you deal with it? I think, you know, I've never had anyone in a class or anything get weirded out or question or, you know, most of the people that end up attending my classes, I've been fortunate enough that they're actually enthralled and very, you know, excited about learning some of this stuff. On Facebook, sometimes you'll get some when you present some new things, some new concepts or uh-huh. things. You'll get some of those people that are don't resonate with it and they're with their current conditioning. And so, there have been times when I took it personally, and and uh, I never once thought I was crazy or weird. I don't talk about things that I don't resonate with, and uh, so I feel like I'm being authentic. You know, when I'm speaking and, and, and what I've realized more and more is instead of everyone trying to say you're wrong and this person's right and this concept is right or wrong, that now more it's just letting that person have their own experience and be where they're at with the non-belief and me not taking it personally because it, it isn't about me personally. It, it will be about their background, their conditioning, their how they were. And I need to have 
the allowance for them to be in that state. It's not about me having to fight to convince anybody of the truth of it or not. Or um, because I t know, too, that a lot of this stuff, even at most channeled material, is not 100% truth. So we have to be discerning. And we yeah. just really have to have an exercise in going inward for ourselves to connect with what feels right, what's working for me, what's my truth. And kind of, you know, stick with that, be be firm and steadfast with that. And at the same time, maybe being firm and steadfast with letting other people believe what they need to believe to get by, you know, when they're ready to accept new or broader possibilities that that will come for them in their, you know, divine timing, I guess. Yeah. So I just try to have allowance for that because I used to, I could get charged up about that. I could take things personally. I could, I have felt myself get you know, emotionally like caught up in that. And then I've been a lot better um, about just, just letting it yeah, go. Yeah. But not taking things personally. Yeah. That's a hard thing sometimes. You just have to be yourself. I mean, what would be the worst thing is going through life and not being able to be yourself, not being able to express yourself, not being able to, you know, do what's in your heart. And so I threw that monkey off my back, you know, 18 years ago. And, um, have been a better person for it for having allowed myself to just explore and be me yeah do you ever come across now still stuff today where you're like okay that's just way too out there <laughs> somebody totally pulled that out of their ass and made that up um i'm not well with a lot of these stories and things that we hear about Nah, i don't know i i wouldn't say that things don't i don't get shocked very easily mm -hmm. i We'll keep an open mind and receive information and just try to discern like what's truth for me or what part of this resonates with what I'm working with or because sometimes I have the ability to feel into whether or not stuff's whole truth or partial truth and you know but uh, I try to suspend judgment on all things yeah. I try to that's good that's good um, let's shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk more about crystals and stones. And I'd like the idea that somebody's going to listen to this and gain some insight and maybe go out and buy something or find something or they already have it and now they know how to use it. So let's just do some kind of stereotypical keeping in mind that it's always individualized to the person. And these are kind of recommendations and ideas of things to try, but not necessarily, you know, 100% this is exactly what this stone is for or that stone is for. Exactly. So some common stones like let's choose obsidian first off let's talk about obsidian specifically and kind of some of the common uses and some good ways to incorporate obsidian into your everyday life okay so with obsidian it's a natural volcanic glass so it's a natural product of nature so um typically in you know energy studies and metaphysically and things and especially in crystal healing and chakra work the westernized idea of black stones or obsidian would be a good use for that it's for grounding, is for keeping people um, connected to the earth, connected and present within themselves because because that's the purpose of grounding is to be present, but to have all of your aspects of yourself together with you working where you're not too much in bliss and not too under the weather. You just, it's a balance. Mm -hmm. So that's a good stone of balance. So here's, here's my theory. I used to have everything memorized, all the books, all the, on all the different stones <laughs> and then the internet, you know, meanings, metaphysical properties of every stone. 
And so I have, I should write a, like an article about this because we, there needs to be a discussion about this. The thing about the books and um, the information you'll find on the website, if you cross-referenced every single book and every single website. You're talking website, about all the books when it comes to crystals yeah, and all the Yeah, anything that's ever been stuff. printed on the internet or paper about what medical metaphysical properties mm -hmm. of black obsidian are, you're going to or any other stone for that matter. If you cross-reference, you're gonna find that every single stone, somewhere you're gonna find references that it heals every single different thing. And so we're getting, <laughs> so that there's a problem there. Yeah. Um, some people channel this information and I'm of the opinion, this is just an opinion, that with channeling, people are more channeling what is in that moment maybe beneficial for them and it will not apply for everybody in the world. And so books are great for <clears throat> there's there's channeling. There's very little information that's been preserved from ancient times about metaphysical use, and there's not very much of that that's passed down from ancient times that See, we could. I think even in that regards, if we're going to get off topic here, I'm going to get lost for a minute. But I want to I want to mention this. So if there's information passed down from ancient times in regards to we'll just say obsidian because we're talking about obsidian and it's supposed to be used for this this and this x y and z are typically used in regards to this kind of ceremony or this kind of healing process um i think that that information whether it came from a thousand years ago or five thousand years ago however long or old it is to in my mind and kind of the way i view things i think that information would be outdated now because of the way evolution works and obsidian is no different than everything else, it's evolving and it's changing, especially due to the fact that it's, you know, a high vibrate. It's, it's just energy. So it's, it's silly to think that something that was written down 5,000 years ago in regards to, it's a great reference and it's a great kind of, um, place to go to, but it's not the definitive thing in my mind. Do you know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. That's the thing. It's kind of like, you know, the Bible, it's been translated so many times. Mm -hmm. It's been that, that the truth or the original, the origins have been lost. So you're right in that aspect where, um, or I could agree with you in the sense that it may not apply now and it may not apply to everyone or work to, for everyone. Yeah. And so, but there's a lot of people that have a tendency, they want to go with, they have a belief that the older, most earliest or first writings about certain things are the most accurate. And so what I have found is this, is that we are all, and it's not the fun way to do crystals and learn about them. The books are great guides and to give you an idea and they can educate you a lot. But all you're really doing is an exercise in memorization of what properties are. The, the true way to find out what's true for you is to experience it and do it yourself. And so a lot of people get disappointed when they come to me and say, oh, my daughter's having kidney stones and what could work for her? And so they just want to be told or in a sense, give away their power mm -hmm. to someone else that will tell them what they should do or what stone they should use or- Yeah, they just want that quick fix. Right, I mean, and that's not, that's that's natural for all of us to do is wanna know the, the answers or the quick fix. But what I try to challenge even in my teaching is I try to put the students in a space of, do you have the time to go inward? Do you have the time to take you know some space for yourself and get quiet and get present and try and start feeling how your body responds to or the subtle changes that rocks will teach you that come about from using each different one and you'll learn from there. So one of the easiest ways, I'll tell you what, our body has an autonomous nervous system that is constantly feeling the environment for 
running things like so it can monitor things like temperature and our perspiration, our breathing, our heartbeat. We don't have to, our digestion, we don't have to say, hey, digestion, start working now. Our body is constantly monitoring and feeling out into the areas around us what it needs to do so it can adjust, self-adjust. These are the same, and it's mostly in the solar plexus. These are the same energies that are telling you, oh, I'm loving that pink opal today. You know, you go in the rock shop and it's like, oh my gosh. And then you walk away and you got to come back to it and you got to touch it and you have to hold <laughs> it and you put it down and you walk around, but it's still calling to you. Well, what if something in your natural energy field is telling you already, this is what I need right now. And it's people yeah, that will teach you about yourself. It'll teach yeah. you about how your body works and how it'll teach you about your gifts and how you sense subtle energy because that's what this world, that is what some of the Lemurians did. The pure people and the indigenous people lived from their senses. And so we're making a return to this. But sometimes people don't want to make the investment. They think crystals is amazing and fun, but sometimes people don't want to take the time to sit and meditate with them or talk to them or have a communication body to stone with that so that's what i encourage people to do have an intention let's say you have kidney stones and you want some help go into the crystal store set the intention what do i need to assist with this today and then you're going to walk around in there and something's going to call to you and then um you know that should be the thing because there's some reason your body wants it or you like it or you're resonating and but we typically we're going in our mind and being analytical and overthinking things and so um that's where we get in trouble is is there but just to return to trust to return to self yeah trust your intuition that gut instinct and that's not just for shopping for crystals by all means that's a good right. thing to do for across the board the more you can do it the stronger it gets the more in tuned you are to it so it is kind of hard to go through and say well obsidian's great for grounding maybe it's you know maybe somebody obsidian works great to open up their third eye and they use it during meditation it's it's really specific to the individual you're right um I want to do a fun thing because you mentioned this too when we were talking about setting up this interview. So I've got some stones here. I've got some crystals in my little studio space here. We've got a, I've got a big ginormous piece of raw obsidian, which I absolutely love. You're cool with this, right? Yes. So it's hard because it's not a video podcast, but you guys will use your imagination. So I've got two stones. One of them's um, Labradite and then the other one is Bloodstone. And these two, I, I do exactly what you described. When we go into those shops and go to those places, not just shops, but like fairs and events and different things, they host a really cool gem fair out here in Twila every year and things like that. But we're all about the raw stone. Like for me, I don't like necessarily the polished, nice, cool stones. I like the raw stuff. And I'll go and I'll look for that and I'll find it and I'll just wait and feel and see what I'm drawn to. And then nine times out of 10, I end up picking up and I hold, I hold on to it and I walk around the store for like 20 minutes making sure <laughs> this is the stone. And I'll even try sometimes to be like, well, I don't know, I'm going to put it back down. And then of course, undoubtedly, I end up buying it and I go back and pick it back up. But tell me what you'd like to do with these two stones or what you can do that would make sense for people that are out there listening. Okay. So one of the gifts I have is, is being able to touch a stone and talk to it essentially. Um, to explain briefly is that all things, all matter is energy and all matter is made up of geometric shapes and I call them sacred geometry. And so some are better and well equipped or adept at holding on to information and energy. And so I can read this energy off the stone. Some of it is um, when you, um, what's that word again? Psycho. 
Psychotropic? No. Psychotropic? I no, mean, that's, that's a word, not but... the word. <laughs> it's not the one I'm looking for. Um, psychometry. When you psychometry? Hold on, yeah, when you hold on to an object of somebody else's or something else, and then you read information off of that. So there's a, a, an, um, an amount going on there. There's also, I, I can't explain how it's done. I just have an inner knowing, and I know stuff. And sometimes the stone is telling me how they can best assist the person, and I'm almost always getting information off the stone about the person, and I just share it with them. So I do these fun readings once a month where people can come, bring a stone, and we do it in a group setting, and I read these, and they're they're really fun. That's cool. So, so this one has been talking to me a little more than this one. This, this has a little more dynamic energy. So which one is it? This Labradorite. Okay. And so um, first of all, do I have permission to read your stone? Yes. Thank you. Okay. And so to describe Labradorite, it's a feldspar. And most of, they say the Earth's crust is, you'll see sources say the Earth's crust is mostly made up of quartz. Is the number one or the number two most common substance the planet's made of in the crust or feldspars. So feldspars are like your Labradorite, your moonstones, the ones that they got some dark stuff in them, but they have really flashy, shiny, I call it flash. Um, it's bling. Yes. It's bedazzled. And it it's, has beautiful greens and sometimes yellows with blues and sometimes purple. So this is a partially, um, I'm just going to hold this for a moment. I'm going to be quiet for a moment. Okay, so what this is showing me, this is really interesting. I first was given a sensation. It was just like a nice blanket came down, right? The shishuma is the central channel. It's a tube like around your spinal column. So um, this nice settling and connection just came right down my spine. And it's almost like brought a presence with it. It just went like that. So it's showing me that it can have this for you. And I feel it very strongly in here in the third eye area. This is a stone that assists with your auric field. And that it is also known that it's good for that for um, because of its its coloring and the flashiness that it's great for reinforcing the auric field of any person. Um, it was bringing me a great sense of peace. So perhaps when you're holding it or you work with it, you feel a little more grounded, feel a little more peaceful while it's doing some reinforcement and clearing out here in the energy field and fill in this nice, this nice movement of clearing and flowing out here. But, well, okay, so now we're starting to get personal information about you. By all means, do it. <laughs> So they're showing me just a, a slight tendency to be very analytical or left brain sometimes, or... I hope my wife's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not a negative thing. What it is is sometimes the details can really get you very... Um, can take you off track or it can take out the joy sometimes. Sometimes too much attention to detail, too being too meticulous sometimes takes the fun out of life and the joy. So it's just reminding you just to make sure that you integrate and have the nice balance of both so that the the details don't drive you crazy and don't take up too much of your time and don't get you too serious or or in a cause you to go into a lower or stressful vibration. This is kind of showing me that, that it can assist you with that too. And um, so I don't know why, why I'm getting a feeling of a child, of a, of a young child, of um, it feels like a little boy. 
Um, so I don't know if you have a child or if you're about to have one or if it feels like toddler age, like two to three, four in there or something. And maybe there was a toddler that came in contact with this stone or saw it and really resonated with it or it picked up on that energy. And it's just playful and happy. And I'm seeing it like in a living room with like a one of those swing things that kids swing in. That just popped in for some reason. <laughs> um, and sometimes that's an indication about being more childlike. Um, symbolically for you. So you fit that in where that needs to fit for you. What else? Okay, now we're going into the earth. Now we're going into some of the earth information that's encoded in this crystal. So all stone comes out of the earth. It's embedded with pure natural vibration. And some have been seeded with information from inner earth beings or have special codes. I mean, the, like we were talking about Lemurians and Atlanteans, they knew how to encode. It was said that before Atlantis fell, that the records, they put them in crystal because it can hold so much. So they just put all the records of what was going on and stuff and, and stones and crystals and um so that's not far-fetched because that's what we use again for data storage and computers. So there's a way to do that. Um, so I'm not feeling that this has been seeded by a particular civilization or anything, but let me try to get to. I'm feeling this like this Hawaiian island energy a little bit vibe. So that's a very, very pure vibration. And... It's a very rejuvenating vibration. I'm not saying the stone was there, but even the people that lived and have habitated the islands in the Pacific, they have, are very knowledgeable with um, earth energies and very respectful of the land and worked in harmony with it. And so the stone carries information of that nature, of stewardship to Mother Earth, of stewardship to the land. And so it's telling me it came up... It, it did volunteer to come to the surface. It wasn't like picked against its will. It's here. It's very, likes your vibration, feels very compatible with who it's with right now and is happy with that. And is especially happy about your level of consciousness because not everybody that gets stones is, is using them to assist with consciousness and, um, you know, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's not just a paperweight. Right, it, exactly. And it's not just a pretty thing on a shelf. So um, so it's very, very happy with that, that it's able to assist in that way and, and facilitate, facilitating some cleansing and grounding for you as well as um, um, helping you to remember to be happy or to have fun and joy in the details and the meticulousness. Yeah, and like let go of some of that analytical overthinking because I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. Never. Cool. I like that one. It's so, a good stone. It's Yeah, that's the one that was calling to me more. I mean, I can read the other one as well, too, but this one was, of the two, if I'm given a choice, that's the one that had more, wanted to talk. Today. I'm going to, because those ones I keep here in my studio, so they're here a lot. I'm going to give you one that I carry with me okay. every day. Okay. So we'll switch them out. Okay. And this one is one that is just carried with me all the time. And you pick some good stones because this is an emerald. This is a, um, I love emerald. I love this rough stuff, this rough emerald. When I was growing up seeing emerald, I always saw it in pictures where it was a very clear cut gemstone, mm -hmm. you know, that's see-through and, and, uh, 
But what we get a lot of in the stores now is the stuff that's in the matrix. So it's got the grayish black matrix along with it with the chunks of the green. And I think it's just beautiful like that. Okay, so I'm assuming I have your permission with this one as well yes. too. So your personal one. Okay. So this is going to have a lot more information probably about you. It's feeling like. Okay, I'm feeling a male spirit guide. Do you have a grandfather that's deceased? Yes. Okay, that's what I'm. That's who I'm feeling. Um, <clears throat> so I'm feeling that um, if you're not consciously aware that he is around you and watching from a loving space as one of your um, ones from beyond that come around to provide loving support, he's delivering that message to you now that he can be um, a really good source of um, see. And as shamanically trained as I've been, the teacher I had kind of discouraged us from like our ancestors were bad and they just had a lot of problems and gave them to us in our DNA. And so I've more recently had the experience of working with my ancestors and knowing who's with me and it's been the most powerful thing ever. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't, yeah, the ones that, wow. And it's it's like increased my intuition and my um, connection and wow. So um, he's just letting you know that he's around you and loves you very much and is very proud, stands there, you know, like a beaming father kind of thing, but um, very, very proud of you and what you're doing and accomplishing. He's talking about your awareness. He's talking about your efforts too. Um, even what you do here is an uh, extension of reaching out to the community. And um, so he's very pleased with that. What else do we get? Okay. Self-doubt. Um, Okay, so what I'm being shown is just that with self-doubt, and I would say this to anybody who has had self-doubt, but as far as, stones are really good at showing me at what's holding a person back, like if there's an obstacle in the moment or a speed bump that you could get over, um, sometimes self-doubt, well, <clears throat> that's what's being given here, is that sometimes you get into times when maybe you feel self-doubtful or unsure of yourself. And so that's a conditioning. What they're telling me is this, there's a conditioning from your earlier childhood, like who doesn't have conditioning from the <laughs> earlier childhood. But this is, just happens to be one that is only getting in, in the way of your current goals and the, the forward direction you're trying to go. <clears throat> and so to go inward if you can and try to just go backwards and retrace the steps or a time when you felt like maybe somebody it feels like it was something you said or an expression you made or did and then someone kind of said no that's not it or that's not right or didn't appreciate it or something so it's it's those things like that that are stuck in our subconscious that we um have a hard time getting at but but that's apparently what's in the way right now of some forward moving momentum that you're trying to get that um, that's one of the aspects. So to look at that, that it will only empower you to to know that it's um, next time you have self-doubt, move forward, just know that um, it was just a conditioning and be brave. They're saying there's just some ego things and some 3D things and conditioning that keep you from doing some of the things you want to step into. And um, just to look at those because that's all they are, conditioning, untruths. Um, energy that's stuck in our field that doesn't need to contribute to the the future and the hopeful um, goals we try to accomplish. Is there anything else you want to say right now? It's kind of being quiet. 
it's showing me how it's taken some energy hits for you. It's the best way I can accept. That's what I call them, energy hits. So it's clearing up some energy. It's actively clearing some energy in your field. And their thoughts from other people or their um, people are their own worst enemies they have. And you don't, I'm, I'm feeling like this has taken a protective measure for you from outside interference. Not so much if you do have a negative thought or something, it is helping purify that. But I'm feeling like it's doing more from the outside, electromagnetic frequencies, other people's thoughts, or when you don't get along with someone or in disagreement, you know, that kind of stuff, uh -huh. that it's taken hits that way for you. I mean, just cleanse it now and then and thank it for its role because the, the dark stuff seems to be doing that. And the green seems to be amplifying an aspect of your auric field that's really good. Um, even though green is connected to heart energy, it also seems like it helps to center you. The green bits in this emerald is more um, connection and, and is the self-assurance bolster that's counteracting the unsurety and the that other I talked about earlier. So this is a nice piece. I like this. That was awesome. Oh. I'm spoiled. Uh, <laughs> we could. I've got like. I. I should have brought my box because we've got so many. We'd have been here all night. At home, but that was really, really wonderful. Um, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. That was really spot on with a lot of different stuff, especially with that emerald because I do carry that thing with me every single day. Um, it's always in one of my pockets, or do you know what I mean? It's just one of the regular pieces. Um, it sucks. I don't know if you noticed, but it broke at some point. It used to be a little bit bigger, shaped a little bit differently, and undoubtedly, like everything, you know, it's not permanent, and so it fell out of my pocket at one point and broke on our tile floor, and I was devastated for about 15 seconds, and then it's like, well, it's okay. Nothing's permanent, but I still carry the big piece of it. Um, so you mentioned when you did that, cleansing the crystal. And that's another thing that I wanted to talk to you about so we could kind of educate people, give people some ideas to think about. What's the best way to go about? First off, explain what the hell is cleansing a crystal? What does that mean? Right. Am I washing it in my sink? Or? <laughs> well, cleansing is an action that will help to clean off. You know, I was saying earlier how stones have a geometric makeup and all that geometry and those shapes hold information, store information. And so it's picking up a lot of, that's the belief anyway, is that stones pick up a lot of en energy from other people or what's floating around in the air, the things we can't see in the unseen light spectrum. So cleansing would be a way to kind of refresh and rejuvenate them again so that we remove that excess extra info that doesn't need to be there and that they can work at their optimum capacity. So um, cleansing can be a lot of different things. And it's I always throw out lots of different ideas and then people will connect with something that feels right to them and play around, like have childlike curiosity with stones because that's what they're all about to see what feels good for you. But things like you can, water is very cleansing. You can intend, you could do it in the sink as you intend that it's cleansing energies off of it. You could take it to a natural water source like up in the mountains in a stream mm -hmm. or a lake or river and cleanse it that way. You could leave it out in rainwater if you wanted to. You could um, put it in a bowl of salt. Salt is always known for its cleansing properties. I don't recommend salt water per se because a lot of the stones that are green and blue have like the copper and the um, they could oxide, they could start to rust. So there's also some too, I think we should mention like, um, it's eluding me now, but there's some that obviously if you get wet, then it's going to affect um, selenite. Like selenite, yeah, selenite, selenite will dissolve in water. So that's one that over long periods of time 
you know, you have to watch for. Uh, let's see. So you could salt cleansing. Some people use sage. Some people use um, putting on other stones. Like some people believe that some people like to put it on selenite because selenite's supposed to, you know, when you hold up selenite and it looks like fiber optics in it, you can see the lines and the striations. And, mm -hmm. and so it's supposed to be a conduit to higher, like angelic realms and higher vibrations. So a lot of people will just stick it on the selenite to cleanse it. Uh, and there's a couple other stones that are supposedly good in that way too. Some people, stones all grow in the earth. So when you think of the earth, you're thinking of dark, dirt, and um, coolness, although a lot of rock is formed with heat. So return it to the earth for a little while. I, I feel like that's a really good way to rejuvenate um, stones. The sun is good for, because of the consciousness that we get renewed energy from the sun, like codes, I call them codes, and it's information from the sun that's helping to rejuvenate or wake us up. So there's new consciousness coming from the sun all the time. You can put them out in the sun, but a lot of things will fade. And temperature can cause things to break too. Mm -hmm. When you go from hot to cold or too hot in the sun for too long, it'll break things because it starts to expand like glass would. So uh, indirect sunlight if you have to, a lot of people like the moon to cleanse. Um, there's just a number of ways that people could use Palo Santo incense, um, whatever ways of cleansing. Um, so What's pick your one. Way? I like the earth, and I also like water. So if I get the chance to take mine up to the like up the Cottonwood Canyons, um, and the streams and things up mm -hmm. there, um, you just want to make sure that it's not a fast running. Put your stones in something so you don't lose them. Yeah, you don't want to go up and cleanse <laughs> your rocks. Drawstring bag. Gone. <laughs> yeah. Um, we typically cleanse our stuff in the moonlight. Like it's funny because we'll break out our card table and throw it in the backyard on the full moon and everybody in the house drags out their stones and their crystals and everything else that we can think of that we just want to stick out in the energy of the moon. But I can only imagine what our neighbors are thinking. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> so, Lori, tell me a little bit more what it is you do specifically in regards to, you mentioned you host class sometimes, you um, have different events and things like that, and you work with clients. So let's talk more about that. Okay. So I, you know, I started teaching about crystal energy and how crystal works and how it could benefit people. And, and that expanded into my <clears throat> crystal healer curriculum. And then, uh, but in between that, we have, um, the self-awareness and the things that crystals bring to us. So pyramid energy is a class I did, some meditating with crystals. We can understand how crystals affect our consciousness and gives us some ways and opportunities we can work with crystals to tune into them and talk to them or to feel uh, their subtle energy. So I do a variety of classes out of my home and some places around town in Salt Lake. Um, Crohn's Hollow and Fiore Studio will be doing a lot out of this next year. Anything that, when I realized that crystals were helping me to tap into how I sense and feel energy, I realized other people, this would be really helpful for other people too. Everybody is fascinated with their gifts or wanting to develop their gifts. And so when you hold a stone or crystal, or if you try to work with it, it's going to talk to you because it's, it's steady and constant, but it will take a little time for you 
it forces you to have to get go inward. It forces you to have to get quiet. It forces you to have to pay attention to you. And so when are we doing that? We're always busy in the world. We're mm-hmm. always focused outside of ourselves. Television, work, jobs, friends, relationships, family, and it takes away from inner time. And so when we can take time to do that or you start to notice, oh, I'm feeling this tingling. It's so exciting the first time you hold like a quartz for a long time and it heats up in your hand and it gets with your body temperature. Yeah. And you can feel it oscillating. It feels like it's doing a little wiggle, like an etheric wiggle. Like you know it's not moving in your hand, but the energy of it feels like it's doing this, like like a clock because that's with piezoelectricity, you know, that's how a lot of quartz timekeeping works is that it's quartz is naturally attuned to the vibration of second you know and that's what counts off seconds and moves the hours in time and so uh it's really exciting when you have a sensation from a stone the first time you hold it in your hand and yeah, they I, feel like they vibrate sometimes they I do mean, it's really and it's so fun bizarre sometimes and then and then you can get excited because it's like oh i can feel energy so for any of you that didn't feel like you could or like it's hard or a rock has to come up and hit you on the head for you to notice <laughs> um try some meditation and some working with them and just see how things change for you and, and don't give up for sure it'll teach you how you're perceiving things yeah um, what's the best way for people to reach out and get a hold of you? How can they find you? I have a website, um, livinglightschool.com, and also the Facebook page is facebook.com slash livinglightschool. My personal Facebook page is crystal therapy after the facebook.com. And um, those are some of the ways you can get in touch with me and learn about some of the classes and the next Crystal Healer course that's coming up in July. And I um, always have classes ongoing. I'll be doing things weekly from here on out um, at, in West Jordan at Fiore Studio. I'm available to come speak. We didn't even talk about Crystal Skulls yet. And oh my I don't know goodness. if we get a chance to do that. Let's but. talk about it. We got to. <laughs> this is my podcast. We do whatever the hell we want to. <laughs> so, yes, I want to talk about Crystal Skulls. Oh, fun. So so that's another thing. Actually. Do you have one? No, I don't have one. Okay. Crystal skulls. Crystal skulls. Okay. Crystal skulls. A crystal skull is a crystal or rock that's been cut into the shape of a human cranium. And so a lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people see crystal skulls and they get freaked out. Equally as interesting as when I'm selling them at fairs. Little kids love them. I don't know what's up, what's up with that, They're but it's, it's it, fun. Huh? They are, really. And it's surprising to me. But uh, generally, you know, we, we have a sect of the generations that are, um, they, they think it represents death. But we all forget sometimes that we are a skull. We have a skull. And so it's, sometimes it's associated with death, scary things, dark things, whatever. Well, here's the story on crystal skulls. Because they're cut to that shape of the human cranium, have, they have a special resonant energy that can take place between the user and itself. So they, they become really personal little partners. You know how shamans collect rocks and, and they develop their mesa bags and pick up special sacred rocks and things, relics that are part of their growth process in shamanism. And uh, crystal skulls are very fitting into this dynamic of assisting the caretaker of it in expanding their consciousness and growth. So the other thing I didn't tell you about crystal energy is, is that it can act as a step-down transformer of information from higher realms. So because we're talking- Kind of like a go-between? Yes. So like 
it's easier for your spirit guides or angelic realm or the divine or whomever to put information into your stone to help boost your process or even if you ask from that from your guides put the information or the help in my stones or my crystal skulls so that when I work with it you know it's gonna do this resonant thing between me and my brain and help for me to expand my consciousness awareness let go of what I need to and grow so you take crystal skulls to sacred sites of course I took mine to Egypt you know take them everywhere I go and if I've had initiations or shamanic graduations and you know ceremonies I take it there because it's um, always picking up on all the information and the energy that's in the unseen light realm. And there's yeah. just a whole other world going on around us that people can't see that that's amazing. And so um, that's what they're for. And so the ancient ones, there's a few of them that are known to be ancient, and they're very special, and they're they're big. And uh, we were going to have one here in July, but they canceled. Uh, Max is a, I've brought several of these ancient ones to town, Max, Einstein, Einstein's been on Ancient Aliens, and uh, Max has been on History Channel, in fact, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Crystal Skull, or whatever that one was. That was the most recent one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the last one. George Lucas interviewed the caretaker of Max, the Ancient Crystal Skull, um, and used parts and pieces and information in the movie, so... Um, but it was sensationalized, you know, of to be course. scary and alienish and weird, you know. But uh, when he's in that cave and he picks up that elongated skull with his son and he says, you know, it, it could not have been fashioned from a single piece of quartz or it would have shattered into a million pieces. That was like, that's what Max is. Max has five different growth formations when he comes together. So when he was looked at at the Smithsonian, I'm sorry, the British Museum, they did a study and they had a bunch of crystal skulls. One was from the Smithsonian. But there were two skulls they didn't want to comment about. They didn't want to comment about Max and they didn't want to comment as far as his, how old he was mm -hmm. and what he was made of. I mean, he's quartz, but... Are they uh, typically quartz, like the older ancient ones? Yeah, they're because those are the ones that, that are the do-it-all, the step-down, the transformers, the yeah. broadcasters, the... But there's something really special about Max. So they didn't want to comment on that. And one other thing, they they would put no comment. And so what we have to understand is the reason why they did this was, is in science, if you come out with some new bizarro thing that either can't be explained or defies our human history or what we know of history and how things work, you're going to get laughed at in the scientific community. You could even lose grants. You could lose your money that keeps you going. And nobody wanted to put their personal self out there at risk or to lose credibility so they didn't comment on it but when uh, James Tiburon has channeled stuff about Max he has said that Max is made of alchemical gold and diamond alloy and quartz all together which doesn't exist on this planet mm -hmm. so and when lapidarists which are the people that cut stone when they look at Max they're like this is impossible for these five different growth patterns to come together and exist in one piece and so um so he's fascinating. Mitchell Hedges' skull is fascinating, very crystal clear, and kind of has it looks like a magnifying glass. And lots of people have reported scrying, being seen, visions, and things and pictures inside it, personal to them or whatever they're supposed to see. So you can get a personal one, a smaller one. Doesn't have to be ancient for it to be effective. And you work with it like a little buddy. Like me and my friends, we'll go out to eat at dinner and we'll be sitting there at Denny's or Village Inn and we all have these little crystal skulls on the table and they talk to each other. 
And then, you know, the waitresses and people are walking by and thinking, oh, well, what's that? But, um, yeah, and we treat them like they're little buddies and friends. So yeah. They're, they're amazing. They can really help with your transformation. That's cool. I don't have any. I'm trying to think if we have any because my wife and I, of course, have our endless stock and supply of crystals. And our, our boy might have. I don't know. I don't think we have any. But you have a son? Yes. How old is he? He's 10. Oh, okay. Yeah, when <laughs> you were hitting like, on that earlier, I was sitting there kind of thinking and – and um, he's ten, and I mean, he's in a he's an incredible kid. So I don't know, but like what, you said, what color is his hair? It's brown. Okay, yeah. He's got kind of. It's... I was getting a reddish brown with the the young one. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're totally fine. You can edit that out if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. I think this has been incredible and super amazing, and we could probably sit here for hours. I hope it wasn't too technical. I try. I get so excited about the technical because that's what everyone wants to hear—the science and the proof and the things. But and and for know. me, it's it rounds it out, you know, too. But crystals are fun and beautiful, and we don't have to question or get all sciencey about why they're beneficial to us. Everybody innately knows, so trust your innate feeling towards that. And love them, and they'll love you back. Very much so. Give us your website one more time. Uh, www.livinglightschool.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Lori. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've learned anything in this, it's just by all means, go out and pick up a rock, pick up a stone, go find something that resonates and connects with you. Because like she said, it's your intuition. It's that inner knowingness. You need it. Carry it in your pocket. Put it on your nightstand. I don't care what you do with it, but they're here to help us and we can definitely benefit from it. But thank you so much. And thank, thank you everybody you. for listening. Now thank go outside everybody. and have a beautiful, wonderful day. Kiss a rock. <laughs> Piezoelectric continuous energy bomb. Our earth is enormous. It is one giant big floating crystal. And it's not just a pretty thing on a shelf. That's my favorite world. <laughs> Pick up the pretties.